Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, folks. Thanks for tuning in to AOA. It is Tuesday, March 29th, 2022. And I tell you, there's a lot of rain or a lot of red rather on the commodity screens today. We're going to be talking to Dwayne Bussey of Bolt Marketing about that very thing here in just a few minutes. But I wanted to talk later on in the program. We'll be discussing the changes in Japan's beef import business. They have dropped their safeguard and we'll have some folks from the U.S. Meat Export Federation joining us here shortly to explain what that means broadly from an economic perspective and what it means specifically for cattle producers now that we've got some lower-priced beef heading back to Japan. In segment three, we're going to talk with Paige Stevenson. She's with the U.S. Grains Council. They have also been tracking changes in import and export restrictions, and they have been doing some important research on the harvest quality of sorghum. And we continue to see sorghum grow more and more in the export space, and the U.S. Grains Council is keeping an eye on that. Plus, at the end of the show, we've got some other headlines that are taking shape around the world. Notably, Proposition 12, the California law that would bar the sale of pork from facilities not greenlit by that state, has been taken up by the Supreme Court. We'll probably get some additional information on that a little bit later on. First and foremost, though, let's talk markets. Dwayne Bussey, Bolt Marketing, joins us. And Dwayne, a little bit of a weekday here in Chicago on the Board of Trade. Is this all just because of some talks of peace in the Ukraine? Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, the, the peace talks began in Turkey this morning and uh, early this morning, of course, and they said within several hours they'll have a statement. Well, the first statement that kind of came out was basically Russia saying, you know, that they will start to move troops away from Kiev, which, of course, is the capital of Ukraine. And uh, you know, But they're also announcing, you know, they're going to take these terms and peace talks back to Putin and see what he says. So, but no, that's that's all it takes is something like that for a futures market to think, oh, the war's over and <laughs> and the funds are very long and a lot of people are long and big report coming, end of the month, end of the quarter, uh, just gave bears the total control of this market this morning. And do you think they're going to run the tables here, at least, and let's talk corn and soybeans specifically, until we get data from the USDA? Uh, yeah, I, I'm afraid so. I, I think the bears will be in control. You know, it, it, there could easily be announcement tonight after the market's down sharply again on the opening tonight. It could be some, you know, Putin doesn't agree to certain terms, blah, 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 and all of a sudden we're up 20 tomorrow at some point in time. But this war has not gone the way he thought it was going to Um I don't know what the end result's going to be, and I don't know if Ukraine's happy to give them a few of those uh, those two or three eastern states that Russia really wants. Um, so there is going to be a lot of volatility, a lot of back and forth, but it just feels like it's going to be hard to find buying interest other than maybe some a few bottom pickers here, like I said, tonight on another sharply lower opening uh, until you get through those U.S. reports on Thursday, which will be <laughs> could be game changers there too. So it's going to be an interesting week again, Mike. It is. You know, I think that's a, a phrase we can just stick into every day's episode. It's going to be an interesting week because it certainly has been. Dwayne, let's look at it. We can't make hide nor tails of this war in the Ukraine. It will be what it will be. But we can prepare a little bit for Thursday. In those two big reports, acreage estimates, where do you fall on expectations here on Thursday? Uh, I guess I lean towards the higher side on the corn acres uh, versus the trade estimate of 92. I, I wouldn't be shocked to see a 93 just just because it's intentions. It doesn't mean that's what actually happens. And and I think, honestly, once you got above $6 this winter, uh, there's a whole lot of farmers that intend to plant corn. Now, they may pull into their local co-op and then see what the fertilizer cost is, and then they may switch it to beans. But that's my thoughts uh, for the corn acres. The, therefore, the beans will probably be too low uh, and the bean market might rally enough to pull corn up anyway, so maybe it's not a bearish report. I, I've been surprised. I, conflicting stories out of North Dakota, as you know, I'm pretty darn close to there. Um, I'm hearing a lot of bean acres going in, but I just can't see them not planting a lot of spring wheat either. They're still very dry as you get in the western part of that state, and you know, spring wheat's something that if you plant, get a couple of rains, you'll still get a crop out of it. So uh, I'm looking for spring wheat to be higher, and again, those bean acres to just be lower than the trade estimate. 
Well, let's think about this new crop pricing. Dwayne, you have been uh, a little gun shy on getting some of this new crop mm-hmm. corn booked yourself. Uh, after today, after the volatility we're seeing, wh- what are your thoughts on getting some marketed? You know, still not, actually. Um, first thing I had to do this morning when this market turned like this was get my old crop corn hedged. Uh, we, we did finally do that. We still had the majority of our old crop corn, so we hedged that on the board here quickly. And then, yes, clients started asking me about new crop. I mean, I, again, I have no problem if someone's looking at a spreadsheet and wants to get some sold. I'm going to still be just a little bit patient, even with the down 22 day-to-day. I mean, yeah, that could be the highs, but, man, I, I just – I don't know the acres yet. I don't know the quarterly stocks and the weather. One weather scare, even with the Ukraine war, say that's over. One weather scare, I still think we can see $7 Dees corn. So I'm still being patient. I know that's not a proper risk management thing to say, but if guys are asking me higher or lower, I think it can go higher yet. Well, let's think about that quarterly stocks report coming out on Thursday. If we're going to get surprises, Dwayne, my understanding is that that quarterly grain stocks is probably where they're going to come. Do you have any expectations for this report? You know, I I really don't, but I I like where you're getting at there. What I do see and what makes me nervous is a wide range in estimates. You got uh, 7.6 to 8.0 billion bushels for for that quarterly stocks report. I'm like, whoa, that's that's a very wide range. So what I gather from that is that somebody's going to be very wrong on Thursday. So again, it's going to be a volatile day. Um, I probably lean a little bit towards the higher side of things. Uh, I think the corn crop was decent last year, but I also think demand's been good, so that could shrink it. What I'm going to watch for a little bit is, is where is, is the corn stocks at? I think a lot of it's gone out of farmers' hands. And you know, once you get a crop out of farmers' hands, you don't have that natural seller in the futures market then anymore. So then comes say, April, May, if you have a weather scare, worried about getting the corn planted, without that natural seller, that new crop could really rally then. So I still a bull here, I guess, but uh, we'll, we'll ask me Thursday afternoon. We'll see if I still have my bull horns on. Well, let's talk about the wheat market. We've seen so much interest pile into Chicago wheat as a hedge against the war in Ukraine and everything else. Is most of that being flushed out right now, Dwayne, or or does wheat still have room to move to the upside? No, I think that's being flushed out, and I I think it needs to be. um, The the biggest thing about wheat, we always seem to rally it on on news like the Ukraine war of like, oh my goodness, wheat stocks are going to be down. And then Nobody buys our wheat is the problem. Um, I, I think we need to go down until we see some other countries buy some wheat from us. You know, in Egypt, for example, because right now, who's been the winner out of this deal has been Australia and India, who's exported a lot more wheat here of their large wheat crops due to the um, tensions in the Black Sea area. We haven't gained anything yet. So I, I think when we spiked up because of the futures buying, we kind of priced ourselves right out of the market. So maybe we've got to go back down, find some demand, and then we can build something. But you know, we already know we planted more winter wheat this year, and I think we're going to plant more spring wheat. I, I think we just saw a really good hedge opportunity for new crop spring wheat. Well, we always appreciate your insight, folks. We've been talking to Dwayne Bussey of Bolt Marketing there in Britain, South Dakota. Dwayne, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, anytime, Mike. Thanks for having me. And folks, stick around. Joe Sheely of the U.S. Meat Export Federation will join us to talk about how things are changing in Japan. Stick with us here on AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Every Tuesday, we'll be sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS. Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture, helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system, sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Soil. The final frontier. These are the voyages of the Soil Ship Enterprise to explore soil life, to boldly grow where cover crops have never grown before. 
Farmer's log, soil date 31655.4. We've come across some strange but incredibly helpful life forms. We didn't have to travel far to find them, but these organisms have proven invaluable on our trip through the solar system. They help feed us by nourishing and protecting our crops. They've built our soil structure to make it more resilient to the harsh weather we encounter. Our sensors indicate they're even helping us store carbon that plants take out of the atmosphere and put it back into the soil. Guess you can say our living and life-giving soil is the best thing to cling on to. Um, sorry. <laughs> That's soil fleet humor. <laughs> Visit your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today and learn more about the basics and benefits of soil health. This message brought to you by USDA and this radio station. Experts agree, using multiple herbicides with alternate modes of action increases your chances of beating resistant weeds. Tough 5EC is a selective contact herbicide for post-emergence control of broadleaf weeds, especially herbicide-resistant strains. Tough 5EC has a synergistic effect with HPPD inhibitors and enhances atrazine with fast results. Tough 5EC is in stock and ready to ship. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5EC or visit BelgiumUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Well, folks, thanks for tuning in to AOA here on this Tuesday. One of the bright spots throughout the pandemic has been the global incredible demand for U.S. red meat, in particular U.S. beef. We have been seeing a lot of those shipments heading over to Asia. Of course, China has been the biggest increase in purchaser over the past 18 months, but we've continued to see very strong purchases from our traditional Asian buyers, including Japan. Well... American beef producers might have been a little bit disincentivized under Japan's tariff regime, but that has changed. Joining me to talk about the change is Joe Sheely. He's the vice president of communications at the U.S. Meat Export Federation. And Joe, we've made some changes here to the way Japan is treating U.S. beef. Could you give us the highlight? What what adjustments were made? Well, as the U.S. trade representative announced last week, we have very positive news uh, on the uh, beef safeguard, which is kind of a, uh, a maximum threshold, if you will, that, uh, that was in the U.S.-Japan agreement that went into effect in 2020, uh, at which point if, you, if, you, if Japan imported a certain amount of U.S. beef within a, within a single fiscal year, then it would be subject to a higher tariff. Uh, for a 30-day period. Uh, that was the one provision in the 2020 agreement that perhaps fell a little bit short of replicating the uh, provisions of the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Uh, the, uh, the, the Trans-Pacific Partnership included remarkable gains into the Japanese market. I mean, it was a, it was a really a breakthrough agreement in terms of liberalizing agricultural trade into Japan uh, we of course withdrew from TPP, and then, but then the provisions, uh, the red meat trade provisions of the TPP were more or less replicated in that 2020 agreement that was negotiated by the Trump administration. The one area, and that's and that's been a fantastic agreement. We have benefited immensely from it over the past two years. But the one area that perhaps fell a little bit short was this beef uh, beef safeguard. 
which was triggered last year and did subject U.S. beef to a higher tariff for 30 days from mid-March to mid-April of 2021. Uh, USDR has now negotiated changes to that agreement whereby we will now be treated more in the aggregate with the other TPP countries uh, that are that are part of the successor agreement, and that'll give us a little more breathing room and make it less likely that we will trigger that beef safeguard in the future. Uh, the beef safeguard hasn't gone away, uh, but it certainly has. Uh, we certainly have more breathing room than we had under that uh, U.S. specific provision. Well, and thinking about this safeguard, this new version, rather than just being a flat cap on X number of tons or dollars worth of value, there's now three different triggers that have to be hit to to raise the tariff level. Joe, do you know offhand, can you tell us what are those three triggers and how would they work? Well, two of the triggers are related to our our the the beef imports from the previous year and that and those are still US specific. So, um that that ensures that we still have to have growth. Uh, we still have to have uh, excellent growth in U.S. beef imports of U.S. beef from one year to the next before the safeguard is triggered. So those provisions are still in place, and those are important. But the one that really gives us more more cushion is the one that incorporates the the safeguard from the successor agreement, the TPP-11, if you will. And so what it says is that if, when you combine Japan's imports of U.S. beef with the imports from these other TPP countries, mainly being Australia, New Zealand, and, and Canada, to some degree also Mexico, we combine those volumes and the safeguard won't be triggered unless the, that combined volume uh, exceeds the, the the trigger from the, the TPP agreement. So that's the one that really gives us a little more breathing space and makes it less likely that we will uh, that we will trip trip the safeguard. We were not going to trigger it this year. This would have been late March is about when we would find out that the safeguard has been triggered. And we were not going to trigger it this year, but that isn't necessarily great news either because that means that there's probably been some manipulation of orders. Buyers are pretty smart. They know that we're, we're coming up on the end of the Japanese fiscal year and they will, uh, they will change their buying behavior, their order schedule in order to avoid that higher tariff. So even though the safeguard wasn't triggered, we could have seen some orders postponed as especially purchasers of frozen beef would have been delaying some purchases until after that, that April 1 fiscal year date. So, uh, but all in all, that that's the provision that, that gives us a little more cushion, a little more breathing space in future years, because uh, we think that beginning in 2023, uh, we, into early 2023, we would have been bumping up against this, uh, this safeguard again, had it remained the, the flat cap. Interesting. As we think about the CPTPP, the member nations who are still in it, if we were to hit that cap or if we were to hit these new safeguards and we see those tariff rates jump, even if it's only for 30 days, where do Japanese buyers look for other beef suppliers? Joe, are they going to Brazil? Are they going to Australia? Are there other CPTPP nations that are stepping in when we're priced out of the market due to taxes and tariffs? Well, last year when when the U.S., safeguard was triggered, uh, most likely uh, Japanese buyers would have been turning to uh, Australian grain-fed beef or Canadian beef. Uh, Brazil does not export fresh beef to Japan, so our chief competitors there are really Australia, uh, Australia being the main competitor, and uh, to a lesser degree, Canada and New Zealand and Mexico. Those would be the main fresh beef providers in the Japanese market. Europe uh, Europe now has a, a free trade agreement with, with Japan, and so we do see some European beef go into Japan, but that's generally not in the same grain-fed category as U.S. beef. So primarily, they would have been turning to Australian grain-fed and Canadian beef. And of course, now, um, with both Australia and Canada being in the CPTPP, um, those, uh, if, if the safeguard is triggered, um, by virtue of our combined, uh, imports, imports from a com combination of the U S and the TPP countries, they would be, they would 
most likely be having their safeguard triggered as well. Uh, we don't think that's likely to happen, but that it would at least be, at least everyone would then be subject to a higher tariff if that were to take place. Okay. Joe, it's good to hear the U.S. trade rep working together. This was, of course, Ambassador to Japan Rahm Emanuel was a part of this and Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack. Now that this issue is sorted out from a perspective of red meat exports, what would you like to see be the next focus? What are the other headaches right now that we could start working on to improve beef or red meat trade globally? Well, we do still have, um, in terms of beef trade, we still do have some lingering uh, provisions related to BSE that we would like to that we would like to be rid of. We still have some product restrictions in markets like Korea and Taiwan. Now those have been exceptionally perform. You know those markets have performed exceptionally well for us in recent years. So uh, the the uh, the BSE related provisions are not as much of a headache as they used to be, but they still involve some 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 paperwork, some segregation that, that would that raise costs for U.S. exporters. Um, certainly, we'd like to see the, uh, the, the risk assessment in China on ractopamine use. We'd like to see that move forward. That was one of the provisions that China agreed to in the phase one agreement, not that they would drop their zero tolerance for ractopamine residues, but that they would conduct a risk risk assessment. We would like to see that move forward because we still we still do have some product limitations. Chinese market uh, has been a, a booming for us ever since the phase one agreement went into effect, but it, we do still face some unique product restrictions there. And uh, so those would be the main provisions that I think we're, we're looking at. Uh, we still do uh, lack access for fresh beef in some markets that we would we would like to see access to. Uh, one example is Nigeria, where we recently gained access for processed products. I uh, would like to see fresh beef access there, and uh, and of course um, we we do have markets where we are still at a tariff disadvantage. Southeast Asia would be a good example, where countries like Australia, New Zealand have a significant tariff advantage over us in uh, markets like, say, Vietnam, the Philippines, uh, to some degree, Indonesia. Those are all provisions that uh, would we would like to see addressed to get us more on a, a level playing field for U.S. beef. But, but again, very good news um, of this, this agreement on the safeguard, very good complement to that 2020 agreement. So we're, we're very happy and uh, uh, anxious to see these, uh, these provisions finalized. It is good to see some progress being made and some signatures being put on the paper. That is always a good sign. Joe Sheely, Vice President of Communications with the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. And folks, when we return, Paige Stevenson of the U.S. Grains Council will join us to talk exports in grains and sorghum. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. As planting season begins across the country, the American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to follow the basic steps for seed treatment stewardship. Follow directions on seed container labeling. Eliminate weeds in the field prior to planting. Minimize dust by using advanced seed flow lubricants. Be aware of honeybees and hives located near the field. Ensure that any spilled seeds are removed or covered by soil to protect wildlife and the environment. And remove all treated seed left in equipment. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer. Hi, I'm Smokey Bear, and I made an assistant to help you out, because only you can prevent wildfires. Hey, Assistant Smokey Bear, call me Papa Bear, because I'm grilling up dinner. <laughs> do you get it? Yes, good job. So, what should I do with all these coals? Don't just toss them out. Put them in a metal container, because those embers can start a wildfire. I understand. The stakes are high. Ha, 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 ha. Learn more at SmokeyBear.com. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, grain markets are down hard, led by winter wheat so far here on this Tuesday. As Tuesday morning's prices indicate, there is reason for believing peace talks between Ukraine and Russia are making progress. But of course, it is difficult to trust any statement from the Russian side. According to Reuters, Russia promised to scale back operations near the capital city of Kiev and the northern city of Cherniv. We'll see if that happens. However, the grain markets are pushing sharply lower amid the peace talks. 
here between Russia and Ukraine. We also see the USDA is going to officially release national winter wheat ratings next Monday, but state condition numbers continued yesterday afternoon with the major production state of Kansas registering a seven-point increase this week to 32% good to excellent. And that did outweigh week-over-week declines for other states, including Oklahoma, Colorado, Montana, and Nebraska. And this is the time of year where producers and agronomists see the wheat crop emerging and wonder if the winter damage sustained was as bad as originally thought, but it'll be tough to know for sure until the crop is harvested. Regardless, we're at an optimistic point of the year where the government's expected to release strong planting intention numbers on Thursday, along with estimating plentiful grain stocks halfway through the year. Attention will turn to weather after that. Taking a look at numbers right now, May corn limit lower down 35, 713 and a half. May soybeans down 37 and a quarter, 1627. May bean meal down 1630, it's on 462.60. May bean oil down 177 points, 7068. May Chicago wheat 78 and a half lower, 978 and a half. May Kansas City wheat down 69 and three quarters at 10 and three quarters. May spring wheat down 57 and a half at 1022. Hogs down sharply, April down 157 at 106. Cattle futures are higher, April live cattle up 57, 140.87. This is AOA, I'm Jesse Allen. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines keep on digesting for others and that's not all you can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor restoring sight and health and you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant you're touching whole families with your life-saving gift register in minutes just go to organdonor.gov you'll be happy you did and just maybe someone else will be happy too sign up today Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. Hopefully here in this segment, we'll be checking in with Paige Stevenson. She's the manager of global trade with the U.S. Grains Council. And we're going to be talking about a lot of things that have come across the bow recently with regard to trade. We've seen Brazil lower their tariffs on imported ethanol. Question rising then are they looking to import american ethanol we'll get pages take on that as well as some of the 232 the tariffs the section 232 tariffs that have been changed in the uk as we continue to negotiate with them post brexit in addition they just compiled a fascinating report on the sorghum industry and that outlook so hopefully when page joins us here we will be able to have those conversations before we get to that though i do want to talk about some of the ongoing changes in asia we've been speaking about this a lot on the program of course we just heard from joe Sheely at the u.s meat export federation asia has been a massive market for american agriculture exports over this past year and uh, the question is will that be the case going forward China is continuing to pursue at least a modified version of their COVID zero policy and to that end they are locking down the financial hub of Shanghai <laughs> just to put this in perspective Shanghai is 26 million people and on monday they started locking it down what they're doing is they've basically locked or, or broken the town into half they're locking half down monday through thursday the remaining half thursday through sunday and they say they are going to be testing everyone as of right now residents east of the river were confined to their home and healthcare workers are moving door to door starting at 7 a.m yesterday there was a massive rush of grocery stores in shanghai as consumers were looking to stockpile on food and grocery goods 
And as of now, most of those wholesale markets are now closed. Um, some vendors were reluctant to buy vegetables. And if the wet markets are closed and the wholesale markets are closed, there's just no additional movement to get this thing across the finish line. Um, let's see. We are... Uh, checking in here on Paige. We don't have her yet, so we're still working to, to grab Paige here. In the meantime, we are going to continue watching this move over in Asia. The question on a lot of folks' minds as we look at how these issues could play out over the next year are, how does the Chinese economy broadly respond to the ability to get things locked down? Or excuse me, will the lockdowns compromise the ability of the Chinese consumer to continue buying as much as they have been? And we don't yet have the answer to that. We don't yet know what this is going to do long term. We are seeing factory work in China slow down. We're seeing similar energy price increases that we're seeing here across the United States. Those are playing out in Asia as well. All of these factors are going to have an impact on their ability to purchase American agricultural supplies. So we'll continue keeping an eye on that story as it develops. In the meantime, we are also, as I mentioned, watching the moves being made on that Proposition 12 lawsuit. Of course, this is very important to watch. This is the case over in China, where the, uh, excuse me, not China, in California, rather, where the Californians have said, we don't want any pork coming in to be sold in our state that is being raised using a number of modern pork production practices. The biggest one that we've talked about here on the show is the, the use of gestation stalls during farrowing for those sows. Um, the California market wants to make gestation stalls a thing of the past or to make them much larger. And uh, producers around the country said, hey, we don't think we need to be doing that. They took California to court and they have said, look, California can't be dictating and inspecting these production facilities around the country. And the Supreme Court, we expected to hear this decision back in January. It has been moved to the back of their docket. But importantly, yesterday, they announced they will hear this case. So we will get to see the American Farm Bureau and the National Pork Producers Council challenge Proposition 12 in California. Hopefully we'll have more on that a little bit later, but we've got Paige Stevenson with us from the U.S. Grains Council. And Paige, we were talking just briefly earlier on about the reduction in the Brazilian ethanol tariff. Is this a sign that maybe Brazil might be coming to the U.S. to import some uh, ethanol? Yeah, no, uh, certainly something that the council is excited about and we're, we're monitoring closely and, and we see positive things going forward there. That is good news. The other topic that I wanted to touch base on was the changing or the, the modification of the Section 232 tariffs with regard to the United Kingdom. Can you tell us what has happened there and what has changed? Yeah, so um, the, the Section 232 tariffs uh, came off for um, particularly for U.S. corn. Um, so <clears throat> there had been a retaliatory tariff on U.S. corn of 25%. Um, from the EU, which was, or from, excuse me, from the UK, which was obviously um, making it hard to price U.S. corn into the market, and so um, that that tariff is going to come off and be zeroed out, which will allow the U.S. to have more opportunities to send corn to the UK. And Paige, your role is manager of global trade. As you look at the UK here now that they've parted with the EU, do you see them being a, a strong market for American agricultural products longer term? Yeah, we do. We certainly have seen uh, some more demand, you know, coming back as of late from uh, some of these markets. And we do see the opportunity uh, to, to have some programs coming on over there and to be able to engage with those markets again and see opportunities to send more U.S. grains go going forward. That is good news. Anytime we're getting these uh, these grains off our shores, that is good news for American producers. One grain that has been moving off our shores at a prodigious rate here over the past two years, Paige, has been sorghum. I understand U.S. Grains Council just completed their sorghum harvest report. What did you find? What is the quality of U.S. sorghum compared to the, the global average? Yeah, so we did. We just completed our harvest quality report. Um, we take about 100 samples 
from the main sorghum growing regions and test them for different uh, commodity uh, grade factors and different uh, chemical composition factors and, and kernel index measures. And we found this year that we had a really strong sorghum crop in terms of quality. Um, all the factors when you looked at test weight or um, you know moisture, damage, things like that, we were above um, the U.S. number two grading standard. Um, and, and most were at the U.S. number one grading standard on the average from the samples that we tested. Um, another thing that's really important when we compare U.S. sorghum to international sorghum is the um, tannin content. And so the U.S. raises sorghum that does not have tannins, and this report solidifies that information. We test for tannins, um, and international buyers are able to see that, you know, year over year we are not having issues with tannins, and that's not showing up in U.S. sorghum as it is in some international uh, grown sorghum. Well, that's good news. Does being tannin-free or reduced tannin give us a price advantage on the international market? Um, more of a, an advantage of when, you know, um, folks are looking on who they're going to pick from. They're going to look for that tannin, lower tannin level first, as it is um, animals don't like to eat high tannin sorghum as well as they do sorghum without tannin. So certainly I think it draws more interest into the U.S. market because you know uh, every time you come that you're going to have that no tannin or low level tannin sorghum, whereas a lot of other countries are still producing the, the tannin sorghum. And so, um, you know, more of a risk there as far as is it going to be as um, palatable for the livestock being fed. Well, that makes sense. Paige, as you look out, sorghum interest globally has seemed to skyrocket. I talked to my friends down in Kansas and Oklahoma, and occasionally those bids for sorghum have been very aggressive. What do you see as the international demand picture for sorghum as you look out to 2022 and into 2023? Yeah, um, you know, we continue to see really strong demand from China. Um, you know, that's where a lot of that premium that sorghum producers are able to get, that's where that comes from. And um, actually, we've been having calls, you know, as of late with customers, and, you know, China certainly says we uh, have need for sorghum, we want U.S. sorghum, and so we continue to see strong demand, you know, assuming that trade relations remain good with, with China and also other countries as well. Um, we're getting ready to do some programming here that we've seen interest um, from Vietnam and the Philippines and, um, you know, from Mexico, who has historically been a large buyer of U.S. sorghum, and from Spain, so really all around the world. I think um, folks are realizing the high quality sorghum that the U.S. produces, and they're very interested in, um, you know, getting to get, get to use that in their rations and, and in their products. As you think of the international buyers looking at domestic sorghum, are they choosing it because they can't buy corn? Are there trade or phytosanitary barriers that block them from importing American corn? Or is it simply a, a price differential that's driving buyers to make that purchase? Yeah, so um, it it depends on the market. Um, for for China specifically, there um, is a tariff rate quota on how much corn they can bring in. So once the country meets that threshold of how much corn they've imported, the tariff on um, importing more corn goes up uh, significantly. And so sorghum is able to not have to meet that tariff rate quota. And so a lot of the private buyers in China are interested in getting their hands on sorghum because they don't have to pay that tariff. Um, also, in a lot of countries, sorghum is non-GMO, and so countries that have restrictions on GMOs, sorghum fits great um, for them to be able to import and replace of corn, which is much harder and more expensive to find, uh, you know, non-GMO corn domestically in those countries, as well as importing it from somewhere like the U.S. And there could be a whole lot more to talk about as we look at the GMO restrictions that are developing around the world. We don't have time today. Paige Stevenson, before we let you go, if folks want to learn about sorghum or read that harvest report, where can they go to find it? Yeah, if you go to our website, grains.org, there is a section there on all sorghum things. So hope you check it out. Grains.org. With that, folks, we were talking to Paige Stevenson, Manager of Global Trade with the U.S. Grains Council. And stick around. We'll have more AOA when we return. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Hey, Dad. Your prescription will be ready in just a minute. 
Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Experts agree using multiple herbicides with alternate modes of action increases your chances of beating resistant weeds. Tough 5EC is a selective contact herbicide for post-emergence control of broadleaf weeds, especially herbicide-resistant strains. Tough 5EC has a synergistic effect with HPPD inhibitors and enhances atrazine with fast results. Tough 5EC is in stock and ready to ship. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5EC or visit BelgiumUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Our guest today is Ben Doan, CHS Barge Freight Manager, discussing how the demands on our barge transportation system impact the season ahead. What are the factors causing the rise in barge traffic on the Mississippi River? Mike, you know, ever since the invasion occurred uh, the end of February, we've seen extreme volatility in the marketplace, both from a freight rate perspective a grain price perspective and fertilizer uh, products perspective, we've seen the price of transportation climb with the increase in fuel prices. We've also seen incremental opportunity that the U.S. has captured as a result of Ukraine and that infrastructure, you know, sort of coming back out of the global marketplace. What that's done is it's provided incremental opportunity for the U.S. to uh, to export the grain that would otherwise come out of that Black Sea corridor. So we've seen extreme volatility. How could this impact the northbound shipment of crop inputs farmers rely on for spring planting? Well, due to higher fuel prices, just system-wide, you're seeing just an increase in transportation costs in general. A big cost for barge lines to be able to operate is the price of marine diesel. And when that cost goes higher, the variable cost for those barge lines to operate also go higher. So that's the supply side in terms of the cost that we've seen rising. On the demand side, we've seen strong demand, whether it be fertilizer products northbound in addition to other products that traditionally flow northbound like cement and and salt and construction materials. We've also seen just an influx of demand due to just the incremental opportunity that the U.S. has captured as a result of Russia invading Ukraine end of February and just this, the surplus of export opportunity that that's going to create for both the PNW and the Center Gulf in the United States. That was Ben Doan, CHS Barge Freight Manager. Thank you for joining us around the table. To learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership, visit cooperativeownership.com. The landscape of media has changed, and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting.
Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Well, thanks for tuning in today to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. I mentioned before we had the chance to speak with Paige Stevenson there in segment three about the Proposition 12 case. Travis Cushman, who is the Senior Counsel for Public Policy at the American Farm Bureau Federation, was speaking about this case yesterday, and he said we need to be concerned about this Prop 12 beyond just the agriculture industry. Obviously, that's the hook that a lot of us in ag are concerned about. Voters are now making animal husbandry decisions. What does that mean for the industry long term? But Cushman points out broadly that this law says that voters in one state can dictate how something else is created. So he notes that if California could tell folks, you can't sell products into our state unless you meet our minimum wage requirements, under the arguments that they're bringing forward to defend Prop 12, that would also fall under this umbrella. So this is a very big case. Uh, Travis did say that the the next step will be another round of briefing with the Supreme Court on Proposition 12. There will be the opportunity for interested parties, of which I assume there will be lots. They'll be able to file their briefs as well in support or in opposition to the various sides of the case. And then he expects oral arguments will happen on this case sometime in October. And then with the decision coming maybe at the tail end of 2022 or early 2023. Just a reminder that Prop 12 is currently on a 180-day stay while they finalize the rules and regulations. So all of this is happening about a law that doesn't even have the final rules written that businesses would need to adhere to. So we will continue to be talking about this case. I have reached out to Gary Bass. He is the attorney on the case. He has been on this program before. Obviously, his schedule has gotten a little busier since the Supreme Court made this announcement, but as soon as he's free, we will get him on AOA and pick his brain about what the defense strategy will look like as this case rolls to the Supreme Court. Other news happening in Washington, D.C., there was an update to the cattle market reform bill. Of course, this is the Cattle Price Discovery and Transparency Act. It's sponsored by Senator Trust Chuck Grassley of Iowa, Deb Fisher of Nebraska, John Tester of Montana, and Ron Wyden of Oregon. This is a bill that was proposed in 2022, and uh, we, excuse me, in 2021, we've been discussing this quite a bit. When Senator Grassley comes on the show with us, he is very passionate about this. This was released. It has now gone on to negotiations between members of the Senate Ag Committee, and there has been some feedback from the USDA, and that has led to several changes in the bill text. Overall, the bill does the same thing. Senator Grassley noted this in an announcement yesterday. He said the bill still establishes a variety of approved pricing mechanisms that may be utilized by packers for procurement, including cattle sold at stockyards or the sale barn, through a trading system or a platform with multiple buyers and sellers or through cash or negotiated grid. They're going to define those terminologies more specifically. They also note the provisions outlined in the bill apply to the lower 48 states, which means USDA is still charged with creating new regions to regulate the major packers outside of that central U.S. beef belt. And Senator Grassley noted that the initial mandatory minimum requirements for each region, this is for mandatory cash purchase requirements of beef cattle, those purchase requirements would be based on historical cash and negotiated grid purchases only looking back at 2020 and at 2021. So that will be their baseline if this law were to be written into place. And he does say that covered packers are still required to meet mandatory minimums within a time period established by the USDA. Minimum time period would be one week. The maximum would be 30 days. And discussions are ongoing about how those details are going to break down. The next time we get Senator Grassley here on the show, we will pick his brain for more details on how this could all work. Did want to make note, of course, that our friend John Baranek has issued um, a heads up that for our listeners who are tuned in in the central United States, if you're from the Southern Plains all the way up into Texas, really, excuse me, this is running from South Texas all the way into Nebraska. There are red flag warnings out today, winds 20 to 30 mile an hour, gusts up to 45, and relative humidity across much of that area is expected to drop as low as 4 
13%. So be careful out there, folks. If you're doing a little spring burning, maybe today is not quite the day to get it done. And finally, before we go for the day, a lot of us in the field of, of economic commenting have been commenting quite a bit over the past two years on inflation. And we've continued to see new studies come out, academic research. What are the causes? Where would it go from here? Well, the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco published a paper yesterday, and what they were looking at specifically is why are inflation rates in the United States and other developed countries, predominantly those of Western Europe, why have United States inflation rates surged so much higher over those in a lot of the other rest of the world? Well, their initial response, remember, this is the Fed of San Francisco, the westernmost Federal Reserve Bank. They say that potentially one cause of the U.S. inflation being as aggressive as it is was the fiscal support measures designed to counteract the severity of the pandemic's economic effect. Remember, folks, when we're talking inflation, fiscal support is anything that comes from Capitol Hill, right, from Washington, D.C., from our legislators. Monetary support is anything that comes from the Fed and the central bank. So here we've got the Fed saying, well, the problem wasn't us and low interest rates. The problem over here, as you can see, was all of this money from Washington, D.C. So this was interesting. The Fed, at the end of the day, as they broke down their numbers, they say that U.S. inflation rates could be as much as 3% higher than those inflation rates seen in other developed countries, largely due to the aggressive response of U.S. policymakers as COVID got started. So, of course, they are pointing to those aggressive COVID uh, uh, stimulus and relief packages that rolled out there in 2020 as COVID first came into effect, in middle 2020 as we got that second round of stimulus payments, and then, of course, again, right at the very beginning of the Joe Biden administration, we had another one and a half trillion dollar stimulus relief bill. All of those coupled together to inflate U.S. prices at a hotter pace than what we're seeing around the world. I am sure we will continue to be discussing the impact of inflation on U.S. markets and global markets as we go forward. Folks, I want to thank you for tuning in to AOA. Tomorrow, we will talk about the impact of the SEC climate disclosure rule on ag companies. So tune in for that. And Arlen Suderman of StoneX will join me and we'll look at just what these markets are doing ahead of Thursday's big reports from USDA. Thanks for for tuning in everyone have a great week agriculture of america is brought to you by senex maxtron synthetic diesel engine oils oils that run smart okay gotta be late gotta go gotta go where'd i put ah oh, wallet check and, oh, phone, uh, check. Keys, check. Lunch, check. Checking for the things you need doesn't take long, but what about checking for your safety? Right now, one in every five vehicles on the road has an open safety recall, but it only takes seconds to check for open recalls on your car at checktoprotect.org. All you need is your vehicle identification number or license plate number. Your automaker may not have the right information to notify you about recalls by mail, especially if you recently moved or drive an older or used car. Checktoprotect.org is the quick, easy way to find out if your vehicle has an open safety recall and find the closest dealer who can make the repair for free. Oh, oh, laptop. Check. Before you go, take a minute. Visit Checktoprotect.org. Check to Protect is a program of the National Safety Council.